it's Maria. And this is Jordan. Welcome back to Major Musings. Welcome back. We apologize for the delay with this episode. A lot has yeah. happened. <laughs> Just been, I've been out of town a lot. Jordan's been very busy with work. It's been a lot. Yeah, but we're here now. We're doing we're it. We're back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Jordan, I'm just going to let you take it away. Perfect. So, for today's episode, I'm talking about Agnes Dennis. She is a contemporary artist who first started working in like the late 60s, um, doing okay. a lot of land art. And she's still alive. She just recently had a kind of like a retrospective show at the Shed. Yeah, which is like a newer space, I think, in Manhattan. Um, I remember seeing stuff about that show and like really wanting to go. And I just was not Mm. able to get to New York for that. But um, yeah. And also, I'm not entirely sure when I first learned of her. Like I know for a lot of our episodes, we've been saying like, when we first heard of the artist that we presented on or if we specifically learned about them to present for the mm-hmm. podcast. And with her, I, I genuinely can't remember when when <laughs> I learned about her. But anyway, she's always just kind of been in, like, the back of my mind as, like, a really right, cool right. person. And so this is a great opportunity to learn more about her and share her work with, with you and the listeners. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so she was born in 1931 in Budapest, Mm -hmm. Hungary. And then, like I said, she's still alive today, which is pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. And she and her family actually moved to Sweden when she was a young child to escape Uh, the rising Nazi influence in Hungary. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then eventually they ended up moving to the U.S. as well. So Sweden was just kind of like their first stopping point, and the Mm -hmm. U.S. was like the final goal. Right. Um, so then as a young adult, she studied painting at the New School, which is in New York. And then she also went to Columbia to do an wow. arts degree. Yes. So That's impressive. And, yeah, very accomplished. After she graduated with her degree, she actually worked as a poet. So I, yeah, I feel like a lot of the artists that we've presented – especially I'm just thinking like Maya Deren, <laughs> but ha- has been have been interested in poetry, which is really interesting. So before she became a visual artist, she was mm-hmm. interested in poetry. And she said that because she moved so much as a younger person, she mm-hmm. lost her language. And so she felt visual uh, art was the way to go instead. Yeah, I definitely so, relate to that. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, living in multiple countries on multiple continents where a lot of languages are Mm -hmm. spoken, it would, I'm sure, influence how you interpret the world and how your creativity kind of flows out of you in turn. Yeah, absolutely. And she's actually said, (laughs) uh, relating to creativity, that, quote, the creativity had, had to come out in some way and it blurted itself out in a visual form. Very nice. So, yeah, I like that. Blurted, Blurted itself, itself out. out. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that I love wording. wording. hmm So Dennis began building a career as a painter after mm-hmm. she kind of moves away from poetry. Yes. Um, and she also then is married and has a child. 
Through this time, though, she found painting as a medium to be too limiting for her. And she Mm. said in an interview that what bothered me mostly was the edge of the canvas. I always wanted to go beyond it. I always had more to say. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so by this point, it's like the late 1960s. And so Mm -hmm. she's making this shift to other mediums. So the first like big kind of work that she did that was not painting was in 1968. And it was a performance piece titled Mm -hmm. Rice slash Tree slash Burial, in which she buried pieces of rice in a field in upstate New York. She then chained nearby trees together, and she buried a time capsule filled with copies of a haiku that she wrote in it. Wow. Yeah, so pretty, pretty interesting. Definitely kind of, like, keeping in, in the times of Definitely kind of similar to other contemporary art of the time in the sense of, like, testing the limits of Mm -hmm. what a piece of art or a work of art can be, but definitely very different, I think, than than any other artist working at that time. Mm -hmm. And so scholars will often mark this work as her first ecologically conscious piece of art. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, it's a performance piece, but she was very actively engaging with the environment and with the right, work right. that she does. And so a lot a lot of her works are, you know, very environmentally focused in, in almost more of an activist sense than mm-hmm. in a lot of the other artists who I've talked about. So even though a lot of the artists who I've presented about on the podcast are either land artists or work in the environment or with aspects of the environment. I don't think there's really been this like activist part of their works so much. Mm -hmm. Like Dennis kind of marks a shift in that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is that more more so with that very first work that's marked as her step into ecological activism has she said has she anything said about that? Um, do you mean, like, has she commented on the activism part for that work specifically or just kind of in general about her body of work? Well, yeah, when I first thought of the question, it was for that specific piece. But then the more you talked about it, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, in general, too. What does she have to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she actually has commented on this piece. Um, she has a really great website for herself where she kind of oh nice writes writes these extended essays or not really essays but kind of just explanations of a lot of her major works which Ooh. we'll we'll put a link to it for the link tree so that anyone, yeah for sure yeah so they can the listeners can read more about it so I'm just mm-hmm. gonna quote some from this page because I think it's it's great to hear it in her own words yeah so she she says that it was a symbolic quote, event, announcing her commitment to environmental issues and human concerns. And it was the first exercise in eco-philosophy, which she kind of coined herself. And she believes that this is a way to emphasize the importance of of ecological thinking and Mm -hmm. especially ecological concerns that could be realized through public art. Even though, okay. <laughs> even though this piece, the um, 
rice slash tree slash burial with the time mm-hmm. capsule. I think it was kind of like a private thing. And like right. even on even on her website, she says this is a private ritual. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that this was taking place in a public setting. Like anyone theoretically could go to visit that and and see it. So I yeah. But okay. yeah, so she definitely like recognizes that this specifically is an act of what she says, you know, eco-philosophy, but but a, a way to engage with the public about environmental issues through public art. And so that definitely mm-hmm. is like a, a thread that continues throughout a lot of her works as well. Yeah. And she also has said about this piece specifically that it was about communication with the earth and communicating with the future. Mm. Yeah, so this idea of communicating with the present earth and the present people as well as the future of the earth and Mm -hmm. future peoples also kind of reappears through a lot of her work as well, especially in in one piece that I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the okay. in the episode. Yeah, so again bringing in this question of of temporality <laughs> which mm-hmm. which I'm really interested in. And so during this this time just in her career, she also started on a more precise and formal body of work which she mm-hmm. called visual philosophy. And mm. so these are diagrammatic drawings that are inspired by her interest in mathematics philosophy and symbolic logic so so with this environmental activism she also is very interested in other disciplines like math and so it's very much bringing in this this non-art way of thinking into her works maybe this is how i'll finally say oh i like math (laughs) exactly no 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 exactly (laughs) she i mean she studied these disciplines very closely when she was making art, but mm-hmm. she realized that the majority of people don't understand or want to understand these right, complex yeah. mathematical concepts when you're just basing it on numbers and figures. And so mm-hmm. she thought by aestheticizing these concepts and drawing people in with beautiful visuals that she could get the viewer to think about complex topics, Jeez. which... Yeah, it, it's so smart because the we'll we'll put some pictures on Instagram and Twitter of mm-hmm. some of these other diagrammatic drawings because mm-hmm. they're really beautiful. Like they're they're very precise and scientific, but definitely in an aesthetic and visually uh-huh. stimulating way. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. So then, along with the performance piece and diagrammatic works, Dennis also has done a lot of installation pieces and site-specific works. So um, I'm going to focus kind of on two specifically. The first is one of her most well-known ones and the one that I alluded to at the end of the last episode. That Mm -hmm. was from 1982, and it's called Wheatfield, A Confrontation. Oh, yes. We've already posted some pictures of that. Yes. Yeah, the pictures from it are just stunning. Like they are gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. so they're so cool. So the Public Art Fund commissioned this piece, and basically what she did was she planted and harvested two acres of wheat on the landfill mm. in Manhattan that is now Battery Park City. And so this is in lower Manhattan. I don't know if they if this is if you could see it in the pictures that we posted, but we will post some images that show 
that show this, but mm-hmm. you can see uh, the Twin Towers in it, which, you oh, know. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, obviously, like, living in a post-9-11 world now, like, just seeing any photos of the Twin Towers is just kind of right, cause surreal. Right, because the 80s? Yep, yeah, the 1982. 1982, yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, so you can see you can see the twin towers from one view, and then another one you can see the Statue of Liberty from it. So mm-hmm. really, really great visuals and kind of like icons of both like New York City, but also the U.S. Mm-hmm. more broadly. Yeah, and so Dennis was quoted as saying that the field was a statement that represented the ideals of this country and money as well as mismanagement, the use and misuse of the land, and world hunger. So she's really like, yeah, she's really trying to say a lot with with this. And I I mean, I think she accomplishes it, especially once once you hear more more facts about it. So 200 truckloads of dirt were brought in for this. And 285 furrows which I had to look this up. Those are trenches that you dig for seeds to be planted. So 285 furrows were dug by hand and, you know, cleared of rocks and garbage. So then that the seeds could be sown and planted by hand. And then the field was maintained for four months. So, yeah. (laughs) And so during that time, it was taken care of like a normal wheat field would be. So like it was cleared of the wheat smut (laughs) um it was weeded and fertilized and sprayed against mildew fungus and there was even like an irrigation system set up so this Mm. like she turned this little area into like a fully functioning wheat farm Mm -hmm. basically (laughs) and so that's awesome yeah and so it's it's kind of funny too because when I when I looked when I was researching it I think she planted it in May of 1982. So it's like, you know, it's almost exactly um, the same 40 time, years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah which I think wow. is really cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And so this wheat field was finally harvested on August 16th, 1982, mm-hmm. and it yielded over a thousand pounds of wheat. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Tons That's crazy. Yes, right? It's insane. Um, <laughs> and the, the harvested grain then traveled to 28 cities around the world in an exhibition called the International Art Show for the End of World Hunger, which was organized oh by the Minnesota Museum of Art. Yeah. And That's that was so from cool. 1987 to 1990. Oh, um, it toured for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then... So, so with many of her works, but especially with Wheatfield, mm-hmm. this is what scholars will, you know, bring up to demonstrate how Dennis is a land artist because, mm-hmm. you know, she's actively working in and engaging with the land yeah. around her. As Without like, question. Yeah, like as the medium for her art. Mm-hmm. But she's actually quite different in terms of how and where she's interacting with the land, Mm -hmm. like as opposed to other canonical land artists. So, Mm -hmm. so like Robert Smithson, as well as Michael Heiser and James Turrell or Turrell, (laughs) (laughs) um, they all 
often would primarily work in like the remote American Western landscape. So, you know, Smithson did work in New Jersey and then in some of these other sites that I like mentioned in the, ep- in the episode about him. Mm-hmm. So like the Yucatan in Mexico and he, you know, he traveled to Europe a few times to do some stuff. Yeah, but yeah. for the purposes of this argument right now, <laughs> right, I'm going right. to, I'm going to think about Spiral Jetty and his Fair work enough. and his work out there in, mm-hmm. in the American West so it's it's these male artists going into the land and then especially like in someone like Michael Heiser who has his piece called Double Negative they're cutting into the land they're moving mm. it they're changing it they're doing all of this in an environment that also is very difficult to get to for the right. general normal person because yeah yeah it's it's in the middle of a desert mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so Wheatfield instead is in the middle of the city. So in 1982, anyone in New York could have visited that very mm-hmm. easily. I mean, people working in the World Trade Center would have seen it every day when they go to work or something. Wow. You know, like Dennis also wasn't making these large changes to the environment that were disrupting the natural landscape. Like mm-hmm. before New York was established as a city and, you know, the skyscrapers and everything built, like it was it was an island that you know was functioning just as a piece of land with native mm-hmm. vegetation growing on it so in a way she's kind of returning back to its its history of before humans right, were right. living there and and giving people a chance to interact with with the land in a way that they normally wouldn't be able to in a big city like that mhm mm-hmm. absolutely and so yeah and so that definitely is one major difference in in how she is working as a land artist compared mm-hmm. to some of the other quote land artists in in the art history right. canon. And then another way that I mentioned briefly earlier is that a lot of her work does have this activist part to it. So she's working mm-hmm. in in a way that is trying to actively engage with the people viewing her work and make them consider questions of the environment and what humans impact on it is. And so the other piece that I want to focus on from her also very large scale, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was done in, or I should say it was started in 1992. It Mm. technically ended in 1996, but it, I mean, it really like hasn't, ended uh, and you'll see okay. you'll see why in a second it's called tree mountain a living mm-hmm. time capsule and it is located in finland and in, in a town that i'm gonna butcher the the name of so i'm it's sorry okay. it's called yulo yulo yarvi <laughs> okay but basically it's this town in finland and the piece was done in a forest outside of the town and mm-hmm. it consists of a man-made mountain that measures about 1400 feet long 800, wow. 890 feet wide and it's 125 feet tall okay those are interesting proportions wow yes it's huge it's so this this man-made mountain it's not perfectly round as you can tell by the measurements it's sort mm-hmm. of like an elliptical but on yeah. this mount on this mountain 
there are 11,000 trees that were planted. Each Mm -hmm. tree was planted by a different person. So, you know, 11,000 people took part in planting a tree. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And And these were... Oh, sorry. Were these locals? I, you know, I actually am not sure if mm-hmm. if everyone was local or not. Um, I if it's eleven thousand people, people, I would assume probably. Yeah, because where else would she get eleven thousand people? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's go plant some trees to this remote town in <laughs> Finland. Finland. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll I'll give you some more facts about it mm-hmm. as well. Um, and this is again found on her website. So the project was officially announced by the Finnish government at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro on Earth Environment Day on June 5th, 1992. And this was Finland's contribution to help alleviate the world's ecological stress. Mm. Sponsored by the United Nations Environment Program and the Finnish Ministry of the Environment, Tree Mountain is protected land to be maintained for four centuries, eventually creating a virgin forest. The trees are planted in an intricate mathematical pattern derived from a combination of the golden section. I I think she means by this, like the golden spiral or like Mm -hmm. the golden ratio, that sort of thing. And a pineapple or sunflower system that Dennis designed even though infinitely more complex, it is reminiscent of ancient earth patterns. So, yeah, so that, that was from her website. But um, if, if you look at this from like a bird's eye view, for example, mm-hmm. it, it looks like it's spiraling out. Like the trees look like they're spiraling out from the center point of the mountain. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. There's, there's photos taken, you know, right when it when all the trees were first planted and then mm-hmm. over the last few years as the trees have started growing. And so it's cool to see them kind of like start That's to awesome. fill in. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even still it's about like what, like 30, 30 years old. So it's still fairly young if she's right. <laughs> if she's yeah. saying that this is going to last for, for 400 years. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's still so that's, time. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I meant that this, even though it technically ended in 1996, this definitely is not done. And she's, mm-hmm. you know, not intending for it to be done anytime soon. Um, and so this work is not only an earthwork with like a capital E in the canonical art history sense of the term, but it's also very much an environmental work that's aiming Mm -hmm. to raise awareness of environmental concerns. So she's drawing attention to the fact that, you know, in, in countries like Finland or, Mm -hmm. you know, the Northwest of the U S or Canada Mm -hmm. or some of these other countries that are very heavily wooded and forested, Trees are being cut down and logged all the time, and virgin Mm -hmm. forests are disappearing. And so by doing this, she was trying to create a new virgin forest. And Mm -hmm. with with the Ministry of the Environment, I think that's what the name was for, like the government of Finland, because they're sponsoring it, this luckily is going to be protected. And so it can't Mm -hmm. be cut down once these trees have grown back, because a lot of times what what happens is you know even even though there's companies and organizations that will replant trees after they've been cut down 
Mm -hmm. Once they grow and mature, they're just cut down again. So it's like, it's not really helping, like, which (laughs) is really frustrating. But so I think that's one of the beautiful things about this piece is that because it's, you know, quote unquote, an artwork, Mm -hmm. it's protected and it can't be cut down in the future. Right. Right. Absolutely. And then also what's really cool about it is how Dennis involved the people in the work too. So... Mm. All 11,000 people who planted a tree now have a connection to this work, to the tree True. that they planted, and to the the environment there. And it becomes more meaningful. Yeah. And with, with the, the act of planting, they also received a certificate acknowledging mm-hmm. them as custodians of the trees, which I think yeah. is really sweet (laughs) like they're kind of the they're like the protector of their tree that they planted and what's interesting is that the certificate is apparently inheritable so like it can be passed down through their family her her website says that it's valid for 20 or more generations which (laughs) just like blows my mind and and the cool thing with this too is that it's so visible like Mm -hmm. anyone I mean you know, this is going to a kind of remote forest in Finland, but anyone, mm-hmm. anyone could theoretically go and see it. Yeah. And, you know, with pictures, you can document the growth of it and its, its changes throughout the, the decades in a way that a, a more traditional time capsule that you bury, you wouldn't be able to see that. Right. So right. that also is really beautiful. Yeah. And, again she's she's really thinking about the future of humanity and also the future of the earth and kind mm-hmm. of how those two are are intertwined and how we can can work together not cuz i mean so often you hear about how humanity is killing the earth and it's so bad and all this stuff but right, right. she's showing with these works that you what can, a community of people can accomplish yeah, exactly, and that humanity can come together to do things to to help the environment. To rebuild, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's one of the reasons why I I really appreciate her as an artist because she's mm-hmm. using she's using art to engage people in a way that other artists haven't before, like I, you know, that's not to take away from some of these other artists or like the land artists mm-hmm. of history who weren't maybe who didn't identify as activists. But right. I, I think it's really it's really amazing that that she is using art yeah. to, to yeah. do this for sure. So that's kind of my my main stuff I got about Agnes Dennis. Um, I hope that gave a little a little insight into her artistic career and her activism as well. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. I mean, like you've said before, when you think of land art, the the field has just been kind of overpowered by men. So it's really nice to hear about this one figure who was working alongside of them. Um, or like adjacent to them is the better term. Yeah. Uh, And is still alive today. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And 
she she has a ton of other works too that i mean yeah we'll, we'll post on on social media but she <laughs> she has so many works like mm-hmm. i was shocked <laughs> when when i was doing research on her at just <laughs> how much she's done because oftentimes the wheat field is the one that's highlighted especially because of those like documentary photos that were taken just because they're stunning um but she she has a lot of really cool other stuff too that i encourage people to check out for sure definitely yeah well thank you thank you thank you so who are you talking about next (laughs) (laughs) um so Um, i with everything that's been going on lately, I wanted to highlight artists from Palestine. So um, at first I wasn't sure, but then have you ever heard of hyperallergic? Yes. Yeah, so for those who don't know, they're a really great kind of independent art journalism website. Most of their presence is online. Follow them on Instagram. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, got I got an email from email them because I'm subscribed to their newsletter. newsletter. So I get this email today of an artist, artist in Bethlehem whose art center was ransacked by the Israeli army this week. Oh my God. With, with everything that's been going on. Yeah. So, you know, just, oh my God, my heart just shattered and I'm like, I want to talk about her. So her yeah, name is, is so her, her name is Emily Jasser. She works in a variety of media, you know, film, photography, installation, performance, video. So also something you're interested in, Jordan. Um, but yeah, she's an artist, activist, and a poet. And obviously her work is very personal and very political. Um, so I feel like it's only right to kind of bring attention to her right now because this is a center that she built with her sister that has now been destroyed because of the conflict. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's who I'll be focusing on next time. Wow. I'm really excited to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. Her work looks stunning. Like this event aside, I'm very excited to highlight her work and her art. So. Cool. Well, this, I mean, this will be fantastic then. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you, that, well, I'm, you know, disappointed that you found out about her through these circumstances. I know, yeah. But, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to highlight, to highlight her. Absolutely, yeah. So, I think that's it for now. Yeah, I think so. And we will see you all in two weeks. Actually, two weeks this time. Yes. <laughs> Apologies again. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye.